Hello and welcome in. Thanks for joining us for the latest edition of the Prairie and Smith podcast. Week 13 saw App State lock up their spot in the Sunbelt Championship. James Madison dismantle Coastal Carolina and four schools. James Madison, Louisiana, Marshall, and Old Dominion become bowl eligible. Troy made it nine in a row with a win over Southern Miss. Texas State got back on track with a big win over South Alabama. Plus, the Sun Belt continued to prove that they are the nation's top group of five conference. And Caden, let's be honest at this point, maybe the best conference in general by locking up 12 bowl spots. Today on episode 154 of the show, it's our final weekend recap of the regular season. We're going to recap week 13. We'll break down the biggest moments from the weekend and begin to get you set for next Saturday's Sun Belt Championship game in Troy, Alabama. Caden, the Sun Belt season reached a crescendo this weekend. We saw four more teams lock in bowl spots and watched Appspate lock up the East Division title. What were your favorite parts about Week 13? Well, obviously, everyone knows that an App State win over Georgia Southern is something that's always near and dear to my heart, especially given the circumstances of App State making it to the conference championship, something that they were definitely counted out of to start the season, even by their own fan base, which I'm sure we'll talk about here shortly. But I think this is just the perfect end to the regular season for this conference. You know, when you talk about locking up those bowl spots, that means there's only two teams in this conference that didn't have a 500 or better record, which is extremely impressive. Whatever arguments you want to say about best group of five conference, best, best conference in general, the East has no teams that have a losing record this year, which I think that division alone speaks for itself. And I think this conference, this entire season has spoken for itself with its play against each other, the competitiveness in every single week and the strong finish for most of these teams. I think this was the cherry on top to what could be looked at as one of the most dominant and best seasons we've seen a conference ever had. And I couldn't be happier as far as how they ended the season, the state of this conference and now watching this championship game and these teams play in the postseason who rightfully earned it. Last year, we saw seven bowl eligible teams in the Sun Belt. This year, 12. We might never see numbers like that again. It's time for the Sun Belt scoreboard where we'll review all the results from around the conference in week 13. So, Caden, sit back one more time. I'll jump through these games and then we'll jump in for some more in depth looks. We start with Southern Miss Troy in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Troy came in heavy favorite. They walk away with an 18 point win. Southern Miss, though, did lead 10 7 with 1041 left. In the second quarter, after FGJ went 57 yards to the house, Troy then scored 21 and unanswered points. Two passing touchdowns from Watson. We saw a 40-yard fumble recovery from Chris Rogers. Southern Miss scored late in the third quarter, but then the icing on top of the cake. Chris Lewis to Clayton Olendike, some trickeration from a 30 yards out to make it 35-17 Troy. The second straight 10-plus win regular season, the first time since 1999. 2000. Kamani Vidal became Troy's single season rushing leader. FDJ north of 4,000 career yards, uh, the third running back to ever do so at Southern Miss. Old Dominion, Georgia State, and Norfolk. Old Dominion, a three point favorite. They walk away with a wild one point win. This one, a wild finish. Georgia State led 21 0 at the half. Granger was responsible for three first half touchdowns. He had a rushing touchdown, two more through the air. ODU scored 14 straight points to get back within seven with 14.49 left in the fourth quarter. Then the fun began. Ethan Sanchez makes a field goal with, to make it 24-17 with a minute 37 left. We saw a failed onside kick, a penalty on Georgia State allowing Old Dominion to re-kick. They got a second chance. They pin GSU deep. Granger fumbles into the end zone for the safety. And then Grant Wilson runs it in from three yards out for the walk-off win to secure a bowl game as Old Dominion scores 11 points in the final minute and 37 seconds of this game. Louisiana ULM in Lafayette, Louisiana. 
UL a 13-point favorite. They walk away with a resounding 31-point win. Nostalgic night for Cajuns fans. The last night at Cajun Field under its current configuration, they have a massive renovation project that's taking place over the next two off-seasons. UL jumped out to an early lead. ULM got within three in the second quarter, but then UL scoring 28 straight in the second and third quarters. Louisiana's Chandler Fields, two rushing touchdowns, two passing touchdowns. Louisiana had 230 yards on the ground, and in total, the Ragin' Cajuns finishing with 476 yards of total offense in their largest margin of victory at 31 points since 1954. App State Georgia Southern, a rivalry showdown in Boone. This one didn't quite live up to the billing. Georgia Southern striking first, leading 14-3 to after one quarter, but all downhill from there for the Eagles. Apps outscoring Georgia Southern 45-3 to from the beginning of the second quarter till the 14:56 mark left in the fourth quarter. Georgia Southern added a couple of late scores, but App walking away with a huge rivalry win. Joey Aguilar, four more passing touchdowns, passing Armani Edwards, who was in attendance, and Taylor Lamb for the most in a single season. Tyreek Funderburk, Caden, you'll love this, a pair of interceptions, two of four forced turnovers by the ASU defense. Caden Robinson picked up his SBC leading ninth and 10th receiving touchdowns in a 532-yard day for the Mountaineers, App State securing a spot in the title game. Coastal Carolina, James Madison and Conway, South Carolina, Caden, and for the second straight year, it was a beatdown. JMU beating Coastal Carolina to end the regular season by 40-plus for the second straight year. This was actually a larger margin of victory at 42 this year. Jordan McLeod had his third six-plus touchdown game of the year. He had five passing, one rushing. Elijah Surratt had three receiving touchdowns and also added a rushing touchdown. Both he and Reggie Brown going over the 1,000-yard receiving mark in this game. Just the second duo in JMU history to do so. JMU winning the turnover battle, forcing three fumbles. They also set a Sunbelt record for a single season with their 45th sack. The most points ever scored versus an FBS opponent for James Madison. And they are going bowling after there weren't enough bowl-eligible teams this season. Two more games, Marshall-Arkansas State. In Huntington, West Virginia, the Herd coming in a two-and-a-half-point favorite. They win by 14, and it was the Cam Fancher show in Huntington. Back in the starting lineup after sitting the last couple of games, he delivered a gem, finished with 314 yards and five total touchdowns. The Herd led 28-0 with 6.15 left in the second quarter. Arkansas State scoring a couple of second-half touchdowns, but ultimately not enough. Marshall's defense made A-State one-dimensional, giving up just 51 rushing yards, and Marshall securing their seventh straight trip to a bowl game. Texas State, South Alabama, and San Marcos. This was the late game. The Jags favored by six. They go on to lose by eight. This one, an old Texas shootout. Texas State jumping out to an early 31-6 lead with 13.55 left in the second quarter. A strong offensive, defensive, and special teams play early on in this game for the Bobcats. South Alabama nearly climbed back in, scoring 24 of the next 31 points to trail 38-30. With 12.57 left in this game, Carter Bradley had to exit with a knee injury. Desmond Trotter comes in with four touchdowns off the bench. Five fourth-quarter touchdowns in total from these two teams in Texas State. Able to hang on in San Marcos in total. The game seeing 955 yards of total offense, 767 through the air. And Texas State got to their first seven-win season since 2014. Okay, and a couple of quick notes with Louisiana Marshall and Old Dominion winning. The Sun Belt will be represented by 12 bowl-eligible teams. The 12 bowl-eligible teams are tied with the ACC for the most bowl-eligible teams this season. The SEC only had nine. 
Home teams held serve in Week 13, winning five of the seven games. Only Southern Miss and Coastal Carolina failing to win at home. Sunbelt teams going 5-2 and two against the spread in Week 13. Caden, let's move on, and we have got to start by talking about this App State-Georgia Southern game deeper than hate. App State winners 55-27. I can already see you smiling just thinking about talking about this game. App State got revenge from last year's double overtime win to keep them out of the postseason. The Mountaineers improving to 13-5 all-time at the Rock. They moved to 6-5 in their last 11 meetings. Georgia Southern, meanwhile, dropping their fourth in a row to end the regular season. And App State clinching a berth in the Sunbelt title game for the first time since 2021. It's going to be their fourth time in the last six seasons. Okay, let's talk about that. Returning to a Sunbelt championship game, that brings a smile to your face. This was an App State team that on October 21st, after the loss to Old Dominion, three and four, people didn't think Clark would make it past December 1st. Now they're in the championship game. What does this mean? to this program, and what's this experience for these guys going to be like, Cato? It means everything to this program, Noah. I think a lot of the early season hate and, and doubt in this program, whether it was from fans or outsiders alike, I mean, you look at the stretch when they went one and three in that stretch against Wyoming, Monroe, Coastal Carolina, Old Dominion. That was a rough stretch for this team. There was when people were call, calling for Coach Clark's job, and I think everyone on the team, everyone within the program, took notes on what was seen earlier in the season, what was said earlier in the season about this team. And when you look at this month of November and the late season stretch they made, obviously and easily maybe you could say one of the best, if not the best, in the conference. And I think the fact that not only this team is back in the conference championship, but the way in which they went about it just speaks volumes and is going to mean a ton to this team that improved throughout the year and is now the team we've seen. When we saw Alabama earlier in the season lose to Texas and weren't looking the same as they quite had in the past offensively, get a lot of doubt, and then all of a sudden they rally, and now they're in the position that they're at. I think App State had a very similar turnaround this season as far as the expectations of the program, not meeting them early in the season, and being able to rally and kind of make believers out of your own fan base. So I think the way in which App State went about making the championship is different than any team I'd obviously honestly had been on during my time at App State. We came into seasons with expectations of being in the championship and kind of having to meet those expectations. Those ex expectations were still there for this team, but they had some adversity early in the season. And you could argue that them being able to get through that adversity and improve throughout the year makes them even more dangerous than they would have been if you would have, say, had a front-running season where they were kind of beating teams left and right to start the year. So I think not only them making it back to the championship is huge because we know that's the expectations of this place is being in championship. So them being able to meet those expectations is a big deal. But I think the fact that they were able to do it with the adversity they faced in the beginning of the season, being able to get redemption on arrival, like you mentioned, on a special day with Armani Edwards in, in attendance, having James Madison's win under your belt as well the week before. I just think the month of November and the way that this team was able to rally and finish the season is going to just give them so much internal confidence that they were able to hush doubters and make it to the same stages that they thought they would in the beginning of the season. I think it's just a huge morale boost for this team. It's the energy and kind of trajectory you want as far as peaking at the right time going into the championship and now I think their fan base their players the personnel everyone involved with the program feels that this is going to be a special year and that they can end the year in a special way by putting a ring on their fingers hey at the end of the day Doug Gillen might have to get the checkbook out it sounds like a contract extension probably coming for Sean Clark and Kane you've said it many times on this program App State fans fans in general they remember November and App State a November certainly to remember Caden, Joey Aguilar turning in another masterpiece, completing 64% of his passes. He threw for 296 yards, had another four-touchdown game, now 19 touchdowns to just three interceptions in his last six games. 
He passed Armani Edwards and Taylor Lamb for the most passing touchdowns in a single season at App State. Caden, did he just lock up Offensive Player of the Year honors with this performance? He might have done it, no. And I think when you look at the season he's having, he obviously ranks very high in the touchdown pass department. And beating those names and breaking those records at App State is not something that's taken lightly for sure. And when you look across this conference, you have 6,000-yard rushers, you have 3,000-yard receivers, you have a ton of good quarterbacks that could lay their lay their stake and claim as far as being the offensive player of the year. But when you're watching what Joey's doing, I think what really separates him is how he's kind of been able to carry this team with his scoring. I think when you look at him and the Nate Noel injury, which is very unfortunate, and we haven't seen him in the lineup as much. We didn't see him get a single carry in this game. He just hasn't quite been healthy since he got injured and banged up in the beginning of the season. He's really the first App State quarterback to kind of do this without that star dominant running back. We've seen Kanye Roberts come into the fold, but he's just said, you know what, if we don't have what we need, whether it's the tackle spots that were a point of weakness early in the season on the offensive line with his mobility, being able to make plays and extend plays with his legs, if he doesn't have his full stable of running backs healthy, he's been able to get it done throughout the final stretch of the season with his deep ball accuracy, finding all of his targets, liking them all equally, it seems, maybe aside from a Caden Robinson, who's really emerged as their number one top wide out this year. But the, the things Joey's been able to do with the personnel of this team, with their roster, not getting as much help even from the defensive side of the ball compared to past App State seasons. I think he's really having a historical season for App State quarterbacks right now. That might be a little bit underrated. And I think if you're able to do that at a place like App State in a conference like the Sun Belt, it definitely garners that offensive player of the year crown. So I think he definitely made a strong campaign. I think all of the coaches and people who will vote on this that had to play Joey, especially in the second half of the season, will definitely have a hard time picking someone that really torched them and did as well against them. So I think Joey in this game and really his final stretch of the season, watching him put together three touchdown, four touchdown games back to back to back and just really delivering and cleaning up the turnovers, especially that kind of hindered him in the beginning of the season and what he means to the winning of this team. I think it's hard to deny that he's not, if the best offensive player in the conference this year. Okay, let's also give a a ton of credit to Sean Clark. It hasn't been talked about enough, but the hire of Frank Ponce and bringing Frank Ponce back. This App State offense, I looked this morning, they are the second best offense in the conference. A far cry from some of the struggles that we saw a year ago. I think we'll have to get into that more in the offseason, but that Frank Ponce hire has paid off in a huge way for Sean Clark and this program. Kate, meanwhile, Georgia Southern's lost four straight. Just four weeks ago, they were in the driver's seat to play in the Sunbelt title game. The defense collapsed down the stretch. The offense wasn't great. We saw Davis Brin replaced at times yesterday for J.C. French. There's been a lot of frustration towards the coaching staff from the fan base over the last couple of weeks. Where does this Georgia Southern program go from here? I think they just go up and keep doing what they do. I think when you look at their four loss streak to end the season, it's it's just tough. It's it's a tough league. We've talked about constantly these teams making bowl games and how wins don't come easy in this conference. And you can look at their game against Marshall, their game against Old Dominion. Those are much closer than their games compared to the Texas State game in this last one. So not all wins are created equally or losses in this conference when you have tough competition week in and week out. And it just seemed like this team was a couple plays away and a couple quarters away from getting where they wanted to. So I wouldn't overreact if I was a Georgia Southern fan. Mind you, this is the second year of having a new head coach, kind of having a program going a different direction. I've talked in the past about how much faith I have in this offensive system, being in the state of Georgia, being able to recruit and through the transfer portal, skill players, wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks. This is an offense that people are going to want to play in and they will want to play in. They still have some things to fix, obviously, on the defensive side of the ball. And overall, just with complimentary football, I think has been their biggest issue. Davis Brin's turnovers through just as many interceptions as Kyle Van Treese like 
like he did last year, but not as many touchdowns. So we just, you could see if you have a touchdown here, a touchdown there, the Marshall game goes a different way. The Old Dominion game goes a different way. It's a tough conference. It's a tough league. And I still think Georgia Southern, given their pedigree and what they're able to do specifically on the offensive side of the ball and just the culture they've been able to reestablish, I think this program's still in good hands. And I think next season they'll be even more dangerous. You talk about a guy like JC French, who's already starting to get put into the fold when Davis Brin has had his struggles specifically in this last game. So I think the state of this program, that 0-4 stretch, I don't think really represents this team. These teams, when we talk next year, there's going to be a lot of 500 teams who we say could have been a championship team could have been a terrible team even just given a couple games going different ways so i think georgia southern is right where they want to be as a program they'll look to finish strong in their bowl game and hopefully generate some positive momentum to start the next season but i still think they're just fine if i was an eagles fan hey we heard it all off season from the head coaches we talked to the margin for error in the sunbelt so slim right now and kane you made the point you could be a six and six team an eight and four team a ten and two team very easily in this conference right now, App State travels to Troy, Alabama, where they'll face defending Sunbelt champions Troy in the 2023 Sunbelt Championship game next Saturday. Caden, moving on, James Madison again with a big win over Coastal Carolina, 56-14. to And for the second straight year, James Madison securing Kings of the East honors. They handle Coastal Carolina by 40-plus in the final game of the regular season for the second year in a row. And Caden... JMU is going bowling. Their magic number was 11 games entering Saturday. Started to look bleak for a little bit of time if they were going to have a spot left, but then Florida State and Clemson winning, ultimately locking up bowl eligibility for the Dukes. It won't be the bowl many of us hope to see them playing, but Caden, how big was it for these guys to get another opportunity to play football? It's huge. What, however you feel, you've seen a lot of fans with differing opinions about James Madison's postseason implications, them being able to play in a bowl game, play in the conference championship game. At the end of the day, 11-1 teams belong in postseason play. They belong in bowl games. So now we're just sitting, hoping, and praying that they get a good matchup and we can see JMU go toe-to-toe with hopefully one of the other better teams in the country. Because in this Coastal Carolina game, they proved yet again why they were a team that was ranked this year and why they only have one blemish on their resume. They took the running game out of Coastal Carolina's hands. This is them going into this game with Ethan Basco, which we knew would be a run-heavy offense, and they held them to under 100 yards, which we've become accustomed to seeing, and they caused three turnovers, and their offense lit things up. This is a team that's one of the best in the nation, not only when they're cooking, but just in general. We've seen them get in a couple close games now where they've been able to finish all of them except for the game against Appalachian State, and for the most part, dominate the rest of them. So I think when you look at the James Madison team, I love it for these players. These players played every week as if they weren't going to have a postseason and they kept their heads down. They kept the outside noise away from themselves. They have a ton of players who are going to make the all-conference list, and now they have a bowl game to kind of double down on their success this year. So I think when you look at this James Madison team, there's no question that they're worthy. Their fan bases have earned this. Their players, their coaches, their personnel, they have played championship-level football all season, and they should get rewarded with a bowl game. So now we just got to hope that they hopefully play a ranked team, play another team that maybe doesn't have a 56-14 to 14 score when the bowl game is all said and done. But happy for the Dukes for sure. And we know they'll probably get a great turnout for their bowl game as far as fans go. And just excited for this program and the season they've had. Yeah, well-deserved. Certainly has been a wild ride following the James Madison Dukes this year. And, Kane, I'm already looking forward to 2024. Let's go ahead and pencil James Madison into the conference championship game. Let's just get it done for the first time in three years. Kane, we mentioned Joey Aguilar might have locked up Offensive Player of the Year honors, and that's because Jordan McLeod probably locked up Player of the Year honors. He was responsible for six touchdowns, five passing, one rushing. He finishes the regular season accounting for 40 total touchdowns and 3,700 yards of offense. 
Again, this was a guy who didn't even start week one. What a magical run it's been for Jordan McLeod. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how voters not only determine the player of the year, the offensive player of the year, and the newcomer of the year. Jordan McLeod and Joey Aguilar are both very much eligible for those all three of those awards. Two of them will probably, one of them will probably take two of those awards home. You have TJ Finley in the mix, two Davis Brin. The top four passers in this conference when it comes to yardage are all new players in this conference. So there's going to be a lot of scuffle. There's going to be a, be a lot of debate for sure between fan bases when those all-conference lists come out. But I do think Jordan McLeod has earned the right to definitely take home Offensive Player of the Year, Newcomer of the Year. Whichever award you want to give him, he's definitely earned it because he's only behind Davis Brendan Yards and he's only behind Joey Aguilar when it comes to throwing touchdowns this season. He was able to do more than both of them with his legs as well. And he has 2,000-yard receivers who he really kind of saw become that when his play started to elevate. I think when you look at them early in the season, they had their struggles. He came in the second half and didn't really look like himself in that first game. But then week after week, after that dogfight really against their Power 5 opponent, I think he just we saw him grow throughout the season and become probably the scariest quarterback to face in terms of what he can do with his legs, how on time and how on target he can be, and the weapons at his disposal. He saw, We saw Zach Horton playing his best football of his career with Jordan McLeod under center. You see him getting the best out of his receivers, like I mentioned before. So I think not only Jordan McLeod, but there's a lot of quarterbacks in this conference, I think, who have a lot to say when all conference time comes around. Honestly, obviously a guy like Gunnar Watson has the winningness of the resume to go along with Jordan McLeod, maybe not the stats, but I think it's going to be very interesting when you look at this conference as far as the quarterback position, what awards are going to be given out. But I think Jordan McLeod definitely has put his flag firmly in the offensive player of the year, player of the year, or newcomer of the year, whichever one he's going to get, we'll see. But I think he's definitely done what he has to do to put his name in those conversations and get some votes for all of those awards. Gain to your point, the talent in the league right now is, is wild across the board, the running backs, the wide receiver position, the quarterback position, and Sunbelt fans have to be a little bit nervous because I've heard reports that Jordan McLeod is going to be eligible for a waiver to come back and play another season. Kurt Signetti expecting to have McLeod as his starting quarterback a year from now. Caden, moving on to probably the game that brought the most excitement on the weekend. Old Dominion winners 25-24 over Georgia State. This one got wild. I'll get to that in a moment. Old Dominion earning their first bowl trip since 2021. The second under Ricky Ronnie. The 10th game this season for Old Dominion decided by one score or less. They went 6-4 and four in one-score games. Georgia State losing the last four in the regular season after starting 4-0 to begin the season. Kane, this one was an incredible finish. Old Dominion scoring 11 points over the final minute and 37 seconds of this game. They had a late field goal, a botched onside kick, and then you get a second chance on the offsides penalty on Georgia State. Then you get the safety on the bad snap in the end zone. You score the late touchdown with no time remaining. Kane, this, in my opinion, was arguably the best finish in the Sun Belt regular season this year. It's a skill to win tight games, and ODU did it a lot this year. They definitely did, Noah. And this ODU team really made me a fan of them throughout this season as the season carried on. I'll never forget in week two against Louisiana when they stunned them and had a bunch of touchdowns through the air. And we were wondering what this team was going to be this year, if they were going to show that consistently. Then we saw that we see them stub their toes and have what I was calling the worst win in conference history with that one point win against Texas A&M Commerce. And then they go on to really establish themselves, get their identity figured out on offense and defense and have a certain knack for playing in and competing at a high level when it comes to the second half and fourth quarter of ball games, which you mentioned is a skill within itself. You, a, lot, a lot of teams, like when we talk about James Madison and Troy, had moments this year where they had to prove that they could overcome some adversity in the second halves of fourth quarters. But this Old Dominion team, 
proved it week in and week out. You saw it even when they went toe-to-toe with James Madison and fell by three points. They went toe-to-toe with Coastal Carolina and lost in a close one. Every team in the conference that had to play Old Dominion this year would all probably tell you this was an absolutely tough team that stayed in it throughout, was fighting till the very end. And if we did beat them, we had to throw one knockout punch to end. And if we lost to them, they got the final last laugh on maybe the last play or two or three or four. This is a team that has a different kind of resiliency. Like you mentioned that we saw it against this Georgia state team. They never flinched despite being down by two scores late in this game. And I think you just have to give a credit to their coaching staff and the culture they've been able to build there in a short amount of time with some new players, some new personnel and some new coaches being able to, to like this app state team kind of grow throughout the season. And as a result, when you get to the November month, show some of their best stuff. And I'm just super proud of this program, super proud of their coaches and their players, what they're able to do. And can't wait to watch them get after another team in a bowl game. And they're going to watch film of Old Dominion. Whoever's playing them is going to be like, okay, I don't know how this first half is going to go against Old Dominion. But when it comes to that second quarter, that or that third quarter and that fourth quarter, we're definitely going to have to play our best football against the Monarchs. Okay, and you didn't mention it. I'll chalk it up to short-term memory loss, but also want to remind you, they beat App State during the regular season as well. This was a team, Caden, that was picked to finish last in the Sunbelt East, the toughest division in college football. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Three and a half wins were the estimate in the preseason, Caden. They end with a bowl appearance. Just put this in perspective, what ODU just did this year. ODU beat the odds and they didn't look at the outside noise. They blocked out the outside noise. They didn't really have any type of attention, I feel like, placed on what their expectations were this season. Week in and week out, they just paid attention to what they wanted to do and what how, how to go about their business. And as a result, you see them having an unprecedented season. I feel like six wins was something for them that they might have even thought they could have more than achieved this year when you look at kind of their attitude their effort this year and how they kind of carried themselves especially in that second half of the season this was a team early in the season who were when we saw them kind of near the top of the sunbelt standings in the east we were like are they going to stay here what are they going to do and they, you could say if the ball bounces a couple ways that they have the win over app state they went toe-to-toe with jmu you played the season out a couple of times there's maybe a couple of them where if old dominion can capitalize on a couple games late they have even a better of a record than six wins. So I think when you look at this Old Dominion team, especially given what you mentioned, them what, what they were able to do in the East, next season they're going to be not counted out, that's for sure. Whichever team even throughout the East is picked last in this conference next year, I think will still have a chance to win just given what they've been able to do this season throughout the conference. But I think Old Dominion superseding their expectations, having their formula established and their culture established and being able to make a dominant run when it comes to being able to make a bowl game compared to their expectations is monumental for this program. And I think it's only up from here when you look at what they'll be able to do next season. Okay, and I do want to go on the record quick and just say that I hope when the Sunbelt schedules come out next year, I really want to see Old Dominion and James Madison in this final weekend of the regular season. I think rivalry Saturday would be better if that's where that game is placed, but I'll get off my soapbox. Kane, moving on to matchup number four, Marshall winning 35-21 to over Arkansas State. Marshall securing their seventh consecutive bowl trip with the win. It was the second straight week playing an opponent for the first time. They lost to South Alabama last week. Kane, and both Arkansas State and Marshall will be heading to a bowl game in 2023. This game, quite frankly, was the Cam Fancher show. He Was there an injury? Was Cam benched? We're probably never going to know, but what we do know is that he balled out in this game. He was responsible for five total touchdowns. The first four of the game, responsible for 314 of the 493 total yards for Marshall, completed a few deep balls even in this game. Kane, this was the quarterback that we had hoped to see all season long for Marshall. Yeah, it definitely was. It's just been a very interesting story when you look at the offensive side of the ball for Marshall this year. Them putting Cam back into this game, I think, was good for their program moving forward, just given the the turnover issues we saw before with 
with the quarterback they had in there in Pennington the two weeks prior to Cam not playing. But I think when you look at him in this game, I mean, he was at the peak of his powers. He was getting it done with his legs, with his arms. They were having sustained drives that were 10, 12 play touchdown drives and having short drives where they were able to make some big plays, get into the red zone quick and make some easy work of some some shoddy red zone defense. But I think when you look at this program, I think this offensive performance had a little bit more to say with Arkansas, had more to do with Arkansas State than Marshall. I think the reason I picked Marshall in this game was just because of a gut feeling and just some of the weaknesses I think of Arkansas State's defense were kind of getting swept under the rug on that winning streak they were going on and them achieving a new level of success at a program. But I think you saw Chuck Montgomery getting utilized with two touchdowns in this game in more creative ways. You saw some deep passes and some big explosive run plays happen for this offense, which we really haven't seen all season aside from this game and their game against Georgia Southern. And you see how much easier the job of the quarterback is in both of those games. You look at Charles Huff after the game, as soon as the game was over, immediately getting rid of their offensive coordinator, Clint Trickett, their offensive line coach, their wide receivers coach, and their linebackers coach. So Marshall knows that they're headed in a different direction right now. It was interesting to make that decision before the bowl game, but I think they still know that offensively they have some things to fix despite this game going their way if they want to be as successful as they were in the past. And I think when you look at them offensively, Cam Fancher is going to be able to reach those ceilings and those heights. If you build it around him, if you get him help around him, we can see that he can be a player that can have multiple touchdowns on the ground and with his arm in game. So hopefully going forward in their bowl game and next season, we can see more of this, more explosive plays, more creativity, more use and better utilization of their quarterback and the receivers. And hopefully they can get back on track because six and six for Marshall, it's nice for them making a bowl, but they all know in that building and around that program, they had higher expectations. This is a team I chose to be in the conference championship this year. And I think next season, they'll have a better idea of trying to get to that as they kind of rework and figure some things out offensively. Caden, for A-State, and you mentioned it's six wins, their most since 2019. They're going back to a bowl game. This is a year that should be considered a resounding success for Arkansas State and Butch Jones. 100%. Very different than Marshall. I think when you look at both of these teams having six and six records, it's a little bit more of a disappointment compared to this Arkansas State team who hasn't quite been able to get over the hump. They had some struggles in this game, obviously getting shut down in the run game being the predominant one. But when you look at their entire season, you have to just give a round of applause for Butch Jones and this team, like Old Dominion, being able to exceed expectations this year. I think it all starts with the quarterback, Jalen Rayner, him having a freshman season like he had and being able to build on that moving forward as this program continues to mature and believe and buy in more to what Butch Jones has going on over there, I think is a huge sign and something that's really immeasurable when you look at football and the position specifically. You saw them have their peak level performance the week before, putting up 77 points against Texas State. Anyone who comes into the locker room next season and for this bowl game will remember that game and remember what this team is capable of. And I think they'll be able to utilize that moving forward. So I think when you look at this team, it's definitely them out shooting their their expectations. We definitely, neither of us expected them to have this season. And I'm just super excited to see them now be able to participate, not only participate in a bowl game, but next season return a ton of the guys that they got that a huge recruiting class last season. Hopefully next season, they can double down on that and double down on this year where they kind of outkick their coverage and can continue to improve and maybe be a team that gets more than six wins next year, which I think is still crazy to even wrap my head around as far as where they've come from and where they are now. Hey coach, Butch Jones promised growth in year three. He delivered on that promise, Arkansas State, with a great season. Kane, moving on, Louisiana versus ULM. Louisiana winners 52-21 over the Warhawks. Louisiana becoming bowl eligible for the school record sixth consecutive season. They got some revenge after last year's rivalry loss in the battle on the bayou. Kane, they've now won eight of the last 11. They stretched ULM's NCAA worst losing streak to 10 games with the win. 
Kanan, this is a dangerous Louisiana offense, and obviously the standard caveat about ULM's defense applies here, but after Zeon Chris, we didn't know if we would see the offense perform at these levels again this year. Fields was excellent with four total touchdowns and almost 300 yards of offense. The rushing attack had five total touchdowns and 253 yards on the ground. Caden, we saw shades of UL teams of the past in this game. We definitely did, and I think when you look at ever since Chandler Fields kind of took over the reins of this offense after the Arkansas State game, him slowly but surely getting better and better, and obviously playing against a Troy defense that's the best in the conference this season, it's not going to be easy for anyone to operate, but he was still able to generate some points and get the chains moving, and I think he showed an incredible level of toughness and, and knowledge of the playbook and comfort in the offense, even in his first start of the season against Southern Miss, but against the undermanned ULM team, he clearly showed that UL is, is, is taking that title home as far as the rivalry goes between these two teams. But I think heading into their bowl game, you have to have a lot of confidence offensively now that they've had this performance. Fields only had two incompletions in this game. In the past, in those losses, he hasn't got as much help from his running game. We saw him get that tenfold in this game with 230 yards on the ground and a ton of touchdowns from all of their running backs that seemed like they put in. Even Fields contributing himself with one of his rushing touchdowns, juking out a defender in the goal line looking like Zeon Chris, which was one of the biggest potential worries I had about this offense and him being in it is him not being able to contribute that aspect of the game with his legs, but he even did that in this game. So I think going into the bowl game now, this team's in a great spot to where you know if they're able to run the ball and the quarterback confidence that he has within the system, they can beat just about anyone and go toe-to-toe with anyone. So I'm really excited for this team getting this last one where they really needed it, being able to make a bowl game and now being able to really show what they're maybe even fully more capable of with this quarterback at the helm, even though they'll probably have another one at the helm next season. A lot of excitement around that Louisiana program. They're getting some much-needed stadium renovations over the next two off-seasons. Brian Maggard and company down there doing an excellent job running that Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns athletic department. Kane, moving on, Troy Southern. Miss Troy with an easy 18-point win over the Golden Eagles. Troy stretching their season-long winning streak to nine games with the win. They improved to 3-0 all-time in Hattiesburg. And the Trojans locking up hosting rights to the 2023 Sunbelt Championship game. Meanwhile, Southern Miss ending the regular season, a disappointing 3-9. and Kane and Troy is back to a championship game. This has been a well-documented, dominant run, 24-4 now in the last two years. They're a perfect 12-0 versus Sunbelt West opponents during that stretch. Their only Sunbelt loss was to James Madison this season. Caden, unlike last year, this year the offense has been a huge element of their game plan. They've had five games where they've scored over 30 points versus Sunbelt opponents. What's allowed this Troy team to take this big leap forward on offense? Really comes down to the growth of Gunnar Watson and just his weapons around him. I think when you look at last season when their offense was a little bit more of their Achilles heel and their defense kind of dragged them to a conference championship game. They were really doing whatever it took to win and late in the season, especially that was leaning on the run game. But now when you look at them this year, they have the same ability to do whatever it takes to win, except for they're exploiting teams by kind of formulating their game plan is the best thing possible to go about attacking the defense they're playing. We're seeing Gunnar Watson have an incredible season where he's just throwing with a different level of accuracy, confidence, timing, and hitting his targets. And his receiving core this year has taken a big step up. We had some worries with him losing a guy like Tez Johnson, who's been going absolutely bananas for Oregon this year. But when you look at what Jibbery Barber was able to do this year, Chris Lewis being one of the most physically imposing and scary wide receivers in the conference this year, Deshaun Stoudemire having a great year. 
the passing game has just absolutely taken a complete 180 turn from what it did last season. And then the running game was be able to was able to get doubled down on when you see Kamani Vidal have a historic season this year. So I think when you look at the offensive side of the ball, this team lost some players last year in some concerning spots. When you look at some star players out wide on the offensive line, but the players that came back all seem to improve, mainly being Gunnar Watson, kind of the tip of the spear as far as their offensive improvement. And now it's a team where offensive and defensively, you know that you can't take them lightly or else they will embarrass you. It's about not being not winning or losing against Troy lately this season. It's about are you going to get embarrassed by them or not? So any team that's played Troy close this year, kudos to them and any other team who is just in their way. There's no hard feelings about it when you look at how Coach Summerall has been able to get his team specifically offensively this year. The defense has been a lock, but offensively, the preparedness of that unit and what they've been able to do this year has been really special. And that's why, so not the surprise of anyone, they're hosting the conference championship game again. Caden Trojan fans also got a gift late in the night as well. Mark Stoops, who was announced as the next Texas A&M coach, decides to stay at Kentucky. There was a lot of Trojan fans that were concerned that John Summerall would have been the head coach at Kentucky uh, if Mark Stoops had left after he had been there two seasons ago. Caden, meanwhile, Southern Miss fans are probably glad to see this season come to an end and move on to basketball and baseball season. This was a disappointing three and nine year. They had long shot title hopes going into the year. Bowl plans, though, definitely in the preseason. Southern Miss announcing before this game that Will Hall will return. He did elude their athletic director, Jeremy McLean, to changes probably, I think, at the coordinator position and on that coaching staff. FGJ said post game that he's 50 50 to return to this program. Kane, where does Southern Miss go from here? They go, they go to reinventing the wheel, I think. No, I hope as soon as Coach Hall was told that he would be on staff next year and would be the head coach of this program, that he immediately got his eyes on the transfer portal. Because I think when you look at the teams that were able to kind of rise to the occasion this year, it's no secret that they were able to get good quarterbacks from the transfer portal. And in the beginning of the season, we were worried about that. And throughout the season, that worry got, became higher and higher and higher as this team was able to navigate. So I think when you look at the offseason for Southern Miss, it's going to be very interesting to see how they attack their coaching positions that are there, how they attack their quarterback position specifically, and how they really, their most important recruiting is going to be them re-recruiting Frank Gore Jr. and getting him to stay at the program. If he's thinking of hitting the portal, if he's thinking of taking his talents to the next level, I think re-recruiting, like we heard from Tim Beck in the offseason, them getting Grayson McCall to return to their program was so big for them. Same with this team as far as Frank Gore Jr. He's been the face of the franchise now for a couple of years, and we see what he's able to do as the game's leading receiver and re- leading rusher in this game specifically in his entirety of a program. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this offseason goes for Southern. It's going to be a very crucial one for Will Hall. But I think the good news is when you look across this conference, we've seen a lot of coaches have great offseasons, be able to strike the iron while it's hot and do great things this year. And there's kind of a roadmap and there's kind of a formula to success as far as being able to have a great season as far as an offseason with being able to use the transfer portal, hire some good coaches, get some good talent from the high school ranks and, and get your program back on the right track. That is a Southern Miss team that has a good recruiting class heading into this next year. Kate, and I agree. I think they've got to hit the transfer portal hard and you probably have to make some changes on that coaching staff around Will Hall. But moving on to our final matchup, Texas State versus South Alabama. This one in old fashion Texas shootout, Texas State winning 52-44. to This was the most FBS wins in a season with seven for Texas State since 2014. Their streak of the home team winning every game between these two continued. Texas State now holding an all-time 5-4 and four advantage. Both teams will head to a bowl game in the coming weeks. But, Caden, let's talk about Texas State because it was a historic season. We mentioned it was their most FBS win since 2014. 
Seven wins is just one fewer than the previous two seasons combined with eight. Okay, and they guaranteed a bowl spot the first year under G.J. Kinney and staff was an absolutely resounding success. Definitely. I think when we talk about other teams like the Old Dominions and the Arkansas States of the past being able to outkick their coverage and exceed expectations for the season, I think this Texas State team deserves more credit than it's probably due for being able to do that with a first-year head coach and them really just doing a massive turnaround as far as their roster, getting some new players up to speed and having not only a 7-1 record to make a bowl game, but having one side of the ball, your offense, really be kind of the crown jewel of the conference when it comes to the best offense when they're at the peak of their powers. We saw them score 24 unanswered points to start this game in the first quarter, which is absurd. We talked coming into this game how both of these teams have very high ceilings as far as them at the peak of their powers. And I think when it comes to units of the of the ball, offense or defense across the conference, maybe you could say JMU's defense, maybe even JMU's offense, Troy's defense. This Texas State offense is the most dangerous unit, I think, when they're at the peak of their powers. We saw it to start this game. We saw it throughout this season. And I think the fact that they were able to capitalize on that and get seven wins in a year under a first-year head coach, kind of leapfrogging some second-year head coaches as far as their progress they've been able to make in two seasons in the Sun Belt. It's super impressive. And I think this guy being in the state of Texas and DJ Kinney and being able to recruit the way he was in his first season, very scary as far as the other teams in the conference, keeping Texas talent within the state. They're going to have that leg up on everybody. And they have now an offensive identity that a lot of teams and a lot of players, I think at the high school level and transfer portal guys are going to want to play for. So I think this was a great year for Texas State. They have some issues as a team. You can see that in some of their losses that they can very quickly diagnose and go to and, and kind of harbor on when it comes to the offseason. But going forward for this team, very excited to play them and see them play in a bowl game and very excited to see what they're able to do in their second year after their very, very impressive first year under Coach Kinney. Okay, and Deion Sanders got all the press during the early part of the season, but it's G.J. Kinney who finishes his season with the better record. Caden, Carter Bradley got hurt again in the third quarter, appeared to be that same knee injury he's been dealing with. I don't know if we're going to see him again this year. We did see Desmond Trotter come in. He was solid. They didn't want to burn Gio Lopez's red shirt with them already having locked up a bowl bid. Caden, if Carter Bradley can't play, Desmond Trotter's forced to in the bowl game. How does this change the formula moving forward for South Alabama? Yeah, it changes a lot. I think, first of all, we wish the best for Carter Bradley. Suffering an injury to the same knee, I think, shows his his toughness. And he, he toughed it out clearly in his first injury and coming back from that. And him meaning so much to this program, him having his name all over the record books, he clearly means a lot in his short two-year stint with his team. But they definitely have to change their offensive identity a little bit with Desmond Trotter at the helm. You have to give a huge shout out to him for throwing four touchdowns in this game and being able to rally this team back into the contest late. But it looks like they'll only have to change a couple things as far as his legs being an ability. I think it can actually turn into a source of strength for this offense. We saw him rush the ball a couple times in this matchup, rip off a 17-yard run. That was huge for this team. He's still going to be able to feed Cullen Lacey. We saw him end this game with 11 catches per usual and a touchdown. But I think when it comes to not having Carter Bradley under center for you, it's just more of a morale thing. If the question is going to be, can Desmond Trotter kind of live up to the leadership that we've heard and seen from Carter Bradley on the offensive side of the ball. I think from an execution standpoint, we saw he was able to do that. He had the one interception, but only had a couple in incompletions in this game, was really able to rally against the Texas State team. So I think moving forward, the question is going to be, can he kind of fit that intangible role for this team? Because I think from the physical tools and the physical attribute standpoint, he can check all those boxes. He's an experienced guy who's been in this program for a while. The question is going to be, can he have those leadership skills and keep this team consistent in their bowl game? As we know, consistency has been an issue for this team. So can he be kind of that steady rock, that steady force for their offense to keep things going and hopefully end this year with seven wins? Well, Kaden, the Sun Belt regular season is officially behind us. Close the book on the Sun Belt. Give us a closing thought on the season. 
the numbers and the production don't lie when you look at this conference. When you look at every record of this team, you could argue a lot of them could be even better. This team in this conference really beat up on themselves this year. And I think we've seen a couple teams being able to rise from the concrete and emerge as some of the top teams in the country that no one really wants to play. So I think this is a great year for the Sun Belt. This regular season couldn't have gone better as far as how many bowl teams were being able to put out there. The all-conference stuff is going to be very competitive as far as how many elite players, quarterbacks, wide receivers, running backs, defensive edge rushers. There's a ton of talent in this conference, I think it's in a really great spot. I think next year they're just going to double up on it and maybe we'll see the first conference ever with every single team in a bowl game. I think it's probably impossible, but if anyone can do it, it's the Sun Belt. I can't wait for this championship matchup against two teams that have a ton of pedigree as far as winning success in recent history in this conference. It'll be an absolute battle and I can't wait to watch us do a clean, clean sweep of the bowl games and probably win all of them. I'm fully in on the Sun Belt, fully in on them, ending the season even stronger than the end of the regular season when it comes to postseason play and just couldn't be more happy to cover this conference and be able to learn, talk to these coaches, players, and watch them play on a weekly basis and see them put out some of the best product, I think, when it comes to college football across all of the conferences all across the nation. Well, that's going to do it for our Week 13 recap on the Freire in Smith podcast. The Sunbelt regular season now behind us. It's time to turn our attention to Championship Week. And a special thank you to all of our listeners who've stuck with us throughout this regular season. It's been a wild ride. It's about to get even more fun. Before you go, don't forget that we'll be back with another episode on Wednesday. We'll be releasing a special preview of Saturday's Sunbelt Championship game between Troy and App State, featuring two former stars, Carlton Marshall for Troy, Darrington Evans for App State, set to join the Ferrari and Smith podcast. You're not going to want to miss it. One final thing, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you do one thing for us. Share this podcast with one, two, or even three of your friends. Help us help you by continuing to grow the show into the premier destination for Sunbelt football fans. So for Kanan Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Freire. We'll see you in Troy a week from now. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.